Hi, I'm Irwin McManus, and I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country, and you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel, and you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel, and we'll see you there. So today is Vision Sunday, and I am so excited. In fact, I felt like I should say we interrupt our regularly scheduled broadcasts of the Last Arrow series to bring to you this important announcement. You remember those old school moments where they would interrupt the TV show? Now, every show is interrupted constantly. It's called Twitter. (laughs) But there were times they would interrupt the show that was planned because something big was happening. Something important was happening. They needed to let us know that there was a a historic moment taking place. And, And that's what today is. That's what Vision Sunday is. And and even as I was preparing to come out here and, and share with you some of the things that are on my heart, I was just overwhelmed by the realization that I am excited about Vision Sunday because I didn't know I would have another Vision Sunday. See, I, I realized that I, I thought that last year's Vision Sunday might have been my last Vision Sunday. And, and having come to grips with that realization, I realized that I tremendously underestimated and underachieved what I should have said last year. That if I'm actually grateful I'm alive because I'm so grateful that last year's Vision Sunday wasn't my last Vision Sunday. I just don't want to be remembered for that one. I want to be remembered for this one and then the next one and then the next one and then the next one because there's so much to be done. And I've come to grips with something. I, I have been throughout my life more willing to call myself to more than I have been willing to call others to. Well, it sounds noble, but it's actually not noble. Because if you know there is more in others than there is in yourself, you will call people to more than you would even call yourself. And so in a strange way, I've underestimated you. Because I've not expected enough of us together. And so I'm convinced that the reason I'm still here, the reason I'm alive, is to disturb your life. Because if your life is supposed to stay as it is, I'm pretty sure I would not be here. See, I'm only here as an adjutant. I'm just here to try to disrupt the status quo and to pull you out of mediocrity and to call you to the greatness that is inside of you. (laughs) Recently, Kim and I flew up to Seattle and I was invited to speak at this event for this huge global organization. And and right before I spoke, in fact, it was World Vision. And and right before I spoke, the person who was kind of guiding me through the process said, hey, this is not really a time where people need to be challenged. They just need to be inspired. And I know he meant well because I love him. But I had this overwhelming thought, then why in the world did you invite me? Because I I hope to inspire you, but I I will never fly anywhere if I'm not allowed to challenge you. Because ice cream inspires me. 
pizza inspires me. A great cappuccino inspires me. I am so easy to inspire. And certainly there's too much to be done in Los Angeles to fly somewhere just to inspire. Because inspiration without challenge is wasted energy. See, I, I, I hope you're inspired today. Because that word means to be breathed into. I hope you're inspired today. I hope you leave with, with more courage and more faith and more passion and more urgency and more inspiration. But, but I hope you're more than inspired. I hope you're challenged. I, I hope that there's a breakthrough that happens in your life today. Because what I've discovered is the moment we begin to aspire toward greater things, the moment we begin to shift our focus from ourselves to others, the moment we begin to give ourselves to things that are bigger than ourselves, the moment we take on that challenge, we don't even realize that when we're stepping into a new challenge, we're actually stepping into our own freedom. So Vision Sunday isn't simply about what we're going to do together because what we do together will do something inside of you, but it is not about simply what God wants to do inside of you, but what God wants to do with us together. And that's why I think it's a perfect interruption into the series of The Last Arrow. Because we, we want to focus on the virtues and attributes and characteristics that, that you need to take on, that I need to take on to live the life we're created to live. But we want to make sure that, that even in this narrative, when we talk about that you need to act as if your life depends on it, because that's the next chapter in the book, that you realize that it's more than simply about your life. That the reason it's so important for you to live the life you're created to live is because other people's lives are dependent on your life. And so if you carry death everywhere you go, how can you bring life there? If you're only existing, you are not a conduit of life. If you live your entire life desperately needy and desperately longing, and if you're a soul black hole, all you will do is expel the light in the room. Which is why it's so important for you to be fully alive. Why it's so critical for you to be full of hope. Why it's so essential for you to discover how to live a life of joy. The reason you need to be fully alive is so that you can be a fountainhead of life to everyone else who's dying of thirst. While they're drowning in existence. So my vision for the coming year and perhaps the coming years. And it's a shift in my mind. It's a shift in my soul. God has had to do something inside of me. To shift me in this way. And there are three words I want you to remember as we move together into the future. Love built this. I want you to say that with me. Just repeat after me. Love Love. built this. Now say it with me. Love built this. This is the story I want others to tell about us. See, I don't think it's as important what we say about ourselves. It's far more important what others say about us, isn't it? It's so much more important what reputation we as the church have in the city of Los Angeles and across the world. And if we're going to do something together, if we're going to build something together, we need to understand why we're doing what we're doing. 
It's love that built this. I, I want people to look at wherever Mosaic is, whether it's here in the corner of Hollywood Boulevard in La Brea, whether it's at the Rialto Theater in South Pasadena, or whether it's some undisclosed location in Venice or Santa Monica, wherever we are. I want people to point wherever Mosaic is and say, love built this. Because I think for, for too long, people have seen the church as a parasite on its community. They've seen the church as a negative, not a positive. In fact, I think it's part of the reason why cities zone against churches. And why it seems almost like society is plots against the advancement of the church. It's, it's because churches are not seen as a gift to the community, to the city, to the world. And we need to reestablish the reputation, not simply of Jesus, but of the church. And everything we do, we need to do it in such a way that people will look at us, even if they disagree with us. Wouldn't it be great? If atheists point to Mosaic and go, yeah, love built this. If Buddhists point to Mosaic and say, yeah, love built this. If people who actually just hate the church and go, I hate the church, but love built that. I still remember the guy years ago came to me and said, you're confusing me. I said, why? He said, I, I hate God. I hate Jesus. I hate the church. I hate Christianity. I hate religion. And I love this place. And I don't know what to do with all my hate. I said, why don't you just let it go? Well, that's an option. <laughs> See, I, I, I want us to be the people that creates the escape route for hate. Because people will look at us and go, love built this. I don't even agree with them. I, I think they're out of their minds. I don't even know how they believe. These are intelligent people who still believe in God. But, but what I do know is that love built this. When Kim and I were dating, it was, it was not easy going. We fought all the time. She cried a lot. <laughs> I, I, I just made so many mistakes. In fact, when people date and they get all upset and they fight all the time, they go, oh, we're not right for each other. I go, wow, I don't know how you're ever going to get married. Because <laughs> if you don't fight before you're married, you're going to fight a lot after. Because it means you're not telling each other the truth. We had some big fights before we were married. And, and then I, and I, I, had a, I had a real concern about marriage. I'd never seen a marriage work. So I didn't know if I could be married. I didn't know if anyone could be married. And, and now that I was a follower of Jesus, I didn't want to get married and go through divorce and, and, and create all that pain and wounding. So I thought, I don't think I'm going to do this. And so we were dating, and we were friends with this pastor and his wife. And, and while I was in California doing the hard work of Jesus, <laughs> she was back in school, and this pastor's wife told her, you need to stop dating him. He's not the marrying kind. Yeah, they were my friends. So I flew back and she had decided that we needed to stop dating because I wasn't the marrying kind. What she didn't know is that I drew over to Newport Beach, Laguna Beach. I saw that beautiful expression of nature. And while I was standing there overlooking the ocean on top of the cliffs, I thought to myself, this is one of the most beautiful images I've ever seen in my life. And I want someone to share it with. And in that moment, standing here on the coast of California, I decided to go back and marry Kim. When I flew back, she had decided to break up with me. Bad timing. <laughs> And so I, 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 I contacted my, my, my old pastor in North Carolina when I was at Chapel Hill. 
Now, it was, it was a pastor named Jim Henry who actually guided me to faith, but it was Pastor Bob who kind of was like my spiritual dad. You know, he, he wasn't a, an academic or a brilliant intellectual. He, he wasn't an extraordinary communicator or, or an off-the-wall, off-the-scale leader. He was just a beautiful human being, exactly what I needed. And Pastor Bob was the first one who ever invited me on a stage to share for three minutes my story of coming to Jesus. It was Pastor Bob who invited me to give my first sermon. It was Pastor Bob who flew me across the country later to do my first revival. I didn't have four talks. I didn't know how to do four days in a row, but it was Pastor Bob who could just always push me. It was Pastor Bob who one day in a group where I was like pressing him with questions about the gospel and he couldn't answer my questions and I felt so smart. And he just looked at me in front of all these people and goes, you know, Erwin, I'm just not as smart as you. I just know that it's all about love. And I felt so small. And I said, I think I'm a lot dumber than I thought I was because love is really, really smart. It was Pastor Bob who always gave me the wisdom I needed in the moment. And so I flew back to see Pastor Bob and asked him if I should marry Kim. And, and I told him about her. And I said, you know, she's an orphan. She's been an orphan since the age of eight. She was a, a foster child from the age of eight to 18. She never heard the words, I love you, one time in her life. She never owned anything in her life. Nothing ever belonged to her. Not a piece of clothes, not, not a house, not a family. Not only did nothing belong to her, she, not, she didn't belong to anyone. And as I shared with him her story, he said, this is exactly who you need to marry. And I said, why would you say that? And he said, because you're sort of a nomad. You're, you're, you're like an educated transient. <laughs> you don't have any roots. You're like a tumbleweed. And, and, and you might look like you're living a very virtuous monastic life. Because you see, left to yourself, you'll never build anything. You'll never buy anything. You'll never own anything. Because you have such a disdain for the things in this world. And I was a reaction against the greed of my family. And, and he said, you need to marry Kim because love's going to change you. He said, because you love Kim and she never belonged to anyone or belonged, nothing ever belonged to her, you're actually going to build something. He said, in fact, I'm going to guess one day you're actually going to buy a house because nothing will give you greater joy than buying a house for the girl who never had a home. And when he said all that, I couldn't even imagine it because, well, I, I didn't look like I was income capable. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? And I proved that I wasn't for at least 10 years. But, but I remember the day we bought our first house. Nothing gave me greater joy than having a place where my wife, Kim, who was an orphan, could say was her home. Because I knew I could buy the shell that was a house, but I knew that, that her soul, her heart, would make it a home. Yeah. And, and one of the things I've come to realize is that it's that same mentality that, that God had to place in me by loving Kim. See, now I look and I realize everything that brings me my greatest joy It was built by love. See, you, you may see a house that we bought, but I can tell you, love built this. And we have two kids, I can tell you that love built that. And we had other kids that they became our family. 
that Kim did not give birth to. And, and I can tell you, love built that family. And everything we've done in our lives and everything that we've, we've come to experience together, I, I can look at it and go, you know, love built this. Love has a strange way of shifting you. And I realize that this is exactly the mentality that we need going forward as a church. We need to realize that what we're building together isn't really about us. It's about the people that desperately need to find a place where they're loved. And where they can learn to love. In Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. I love that. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As I was reflecting on the vision for our future, love built this. I started thinking about Zacchaeus. And the unusual complexity of this moment, of this short man, who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So he was corrupt, but he was rich. He knew how to live in the gray. He lived in between the Roman Empire and the people of Israel. And he used Roman power to take advantage of his own people to gain his own wealth. And I'm reminded in this moment, because Zacchaeus' wealth, we're told right away in that first sentence, did not have, well, the right pedigree. The money did not come from the kinds of business decisions you would recommend people to take. It was not honorable money. It was not good money. But this is one of those moments where God reminds us he cares less about the pedigree and more about the destiny of our resources. Because God can change us and he changes the outcome of our income. And so Zacchaeus was wealthy. And I think this is important because I think sometimes we think that Jesus only ministered to the poor. And we have this mindset that Jesus only cared about the poor, but actually Jesus cared about everyone who understood their poverty, whether they're financially poor or financially wealthy. And in fact, if you go back and read the scriptures carefully, the scriptures over and over again actually engage a person of incredible wealth, of incredible power, of a person of incredible position. And those are the people that God uses to change the course of human history. And so it shouldn't surprise us that this man, Zacchaeus, was at the center of the story of Jesus. And he wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short and he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree 
to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So he knew that Jesus was working. He knew that Jesus was, was healing the sick and proclaiming freedom. And he wanted to see Jesus, but, but it never even entered his mind that Jesus would want to see him. And one of the things that really struck me is that a part of the reason Jesus does what he does the way he does, the reason Jesus works through the church, have you ever wondered why in the world would he pick us? Why would he choose to do it like this? I'm telling you, there's a lot of people who've given up in the church. People saying, no, it's just me and Jesus. The church is a thing of the past. The church is antiquated. The church is obsolete. The church doesn't work anymore. But I want you to know that the dilemma, the problem with that is if you give up on the church, you've actually given up on what Jesus is invested in. And, and here's why. See, people are searching for God. They want to see God. But what they need more than anything, what they need more than anything is to realize that God sees them. And the church, when we come together is the way God allows himself to be seen by a world that is looking for him. We make the invisible visible. But more than making it possible for people to see Jesus through us, it's even more important that they are seen by us. That they realize that Jesus sees them because we see them. See, what we do together is an expression of Jesus moving in human history. That's why it's so important, because we become the manifestation of God in the world. And I love it says when, when Jesus reached his spot, it wasn't really when Jesus reached the spot. It wasn't the spot that Jesus needed to be in. It was the spot that Zacchaeus needed Jesus to be in so he could see him. You see, what we need to realize is that we need to be like Jesus and get to the spot where people can see God. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is exactly why we're on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and La Brea. I've had a lot of people tell me, I didn't even know you guys were a church. I, I walked by for years. I didn't know what you were. I think I'm just going to make us write the definition of church on the wall outside. Just so people can know. Because I want them to know. I want them to know who we are. We are the living manifestation of the reality of Jesus in the world. We're all about Jesus, and we're here so that people can see God in us and through us, but also know that God sees them. We want to be the spot where Jesus and Zacchaeus come together. That should actually get you crazy. Now, I remember when the Rocky Horror Picture Show was in South Pasadena. I remember when people dressed crazy, went crazy, and people felt so identified with that story. It's gone now. But you see, there's a greater story that people dashfully need to be connected to. Do you remember how people would dress up like the Rocky Horror Picture Show to look like the characters? And everyone participated in the story. They all became a part of it. Saying, Erwin, you know way too much about it. <laughs> but you see, there's a greater story taking place here. And you don't have to dress up to look like Jesus. All you need to do is come to him and he will make you look like him. And you don't get to just watch the story. You get to be the story of God in the world. And Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
See, Jesus is very practical. Zacchaeus, he, he, he could have just dealt with Zacchaeus in that moment. But if he had dealt with Zacchaeus while he was passing through, Zacchaeus would not have understood what Jesus came to do. He said, I must go to your house. See, Jesus wants to step into our house, into our place, so that that would be a place where God and man sit at the table and eat together. And so I look over the past year, and I see some of the incredible things that have happened. I just want to kind of highlight a few things. Let me see if I can pull them up. Slide number one. Now let's go to 217 highlights. 2017 highlights. So here's just a few things that happened this year already. MSC released their new EP, Unknown, and streamed to over 15 million times. Isn't that amazing? That to me is incredible. 15 million times those songs have been heard. And there's what, six songs on that EP? That's incredible. We launched our first day of refuge here at Mosaic and became Los Angeles' epicenter for refugee crisis in L.A. We can applaud that again. Let's try that again. And the language says launch. It should say launching because we're like the United States in the 60s trying to get to the moon. Launched Mosaic South Pasadena and Mosaic Venice. Can we just cheer that on? And we're in the middle of that because last week was Mosaic South Pasadena's first Sunday morning, which is kind of awesome. And we hope by 218, we'll have Mosaic Venice's Sunday morning gatherings up in place. Mosaic College is in its second year. We had 34 students. Isn't that incredible? And a few of them are actually passing Kim's class. We had seven Mosaic Global trips across the world. Isn't that amazing? We can cheer that on. And last, but hopefully not least, the last era was released, and this message has gone across the world. And I highlight these because, you see, these are things that we're doing together that allow people to see God in action through us. And whether it's in our work in Hollywood or in Pasadena or in Venice or it's our work in Malawi or Bangladesh or India, when we move together as God's people, we become the visible expression of God on earth. And we cannot underestimate its power. When Jesus reached the spot, we need to keep asking, where's the spot that God wants us to go to? Where's the spot where Jesus and Zacchaeus will lock eyes? Where's the spot where man and God will come together? Where's the spot where God and humanity will meet and their lives will be forever changed? When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. This needs to happen now. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Love built this. A place where people can see God and know that God sees them. It's love that built this. The community that finds the spot where we remove all the barriers between humanity and God 
See, I know that if you're a passionate follower of Jesus, you will drive from Calabasas to be a part of what God is doing here at Mosaic. I know if you're a passionate follower of Jesus, you will drive from Newport Beach to come up here. You will drive from, from whatever's east. <laughs> Can't remember. Las Vegas. Whatever the next major city is. Or whatever's west. Tokyo. You'll get here. I've, I've met people who have flown. In fact, I remember meeting one guy who flew from Miami to come to Mosaic to give his life to Jesus. Flew back to work on Monday, flew back the next week to be baptized. We can't even begin to fathom how God is impacting the world through what is happening here. See, when you step into the spot where God can be seen clearly, miracles happen. The extraordinary happens. He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I think this is an important pause. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know how we can know that we're in the right spot, that we're doing this the right way? You want to know my vision for the future? That people who believe in God, people who believe in Jesus, who are more traditional and more safe and more secure and more traditional, that they get really nervous about what Mosaic is doing. Because we've gone to the house of sinners. It's funny how that language is, we've gone, he's gone to be the guest of sinners. Like they were not sinners. Right? I mean, how could Jesus visit anyone's house and have anything different said? But the people who said it didn't think they were. They just thought the others were. See, the only one who wasn't was Jesus. Every house Jesus goes into is a house filled with imperfection, a house filled with brokenness, a house filled with sinners. See, every place Jesus goes is beneath him, but not beneath us because it wasn't beneath him. He has gone to be a guest of sinners, and I want that to be us. You want to know my vision for the future? I want us to be the place where we are always the guest of sinners, not just that sinners are our guests. See, I want us to be the people where people without God go, would you come over? Would you come hang? I want us to be the place where people without God want to be at Mosaic. In fact, I think about the journey. I think it was two years ago. I met Amanda right there, and she looked at me and said, hi, my name is Amanda, and I'm an atheist. And I thought, that's awesome. And she just had brain surgery two weeks ago, came out of it completely well. And she had brain surgery with Jesus in her life because two years ago when she was an atheist, she had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And now she could face this crisis with God and this community. We can applaud that. And then two weeks ago over here, Jamar brought me this amazingly intelligent, really, really gifted guy named Troy who's been an actor for 15 years. And you ever just meet smart people, you know that's a smart person? And here he is just explaining who he is a little bit. And, and, and he said, I'm Troy, I'm an atheist. It's the way everybody introduced themselves to me. Uh, <laughs> And he's been coming for a few weeks. And I said, I hope you keep coming. He goes, oh, no, I'm committed. I love that. I love the fact that an atheist is more committed than a lot of Christians. And, and uh, so I'm coming. And, and he starts explaining to me. because you know, I'm an atheist. I don't even know about any of this and all that sort of stuff. And he goes, I, I never thought I'd be open to it. And, but he's then telling me, but the worship is really getting to me. Because, you know, like those songs, it's just like it's getting to me. It's like, oh, you're in trouble. And I, and I was like, what, what, what about the messages? No. And, uh, so no, no, no. And he goes like, but the worship is really getting to me. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, I'm just the, uh, I'm, I'm the afterman. 
of the meal. And it was just this beautiful conversation. And I thought, thank you, God. And, and I think the last thing I said to Troy is, hey, I want you to know something. And he said, what's that? He goes, we, we, we built this place for you. This place is here for you. This is why, you are why we exist. And he looked at me and said, yeah, I can, I can see that. See, I, I want every atheist in the city, every agnostic, every Buddhist, every Hindu, every Muslim, every just angry person, every person who's angry at God right now, I want them to go, you know, there's a place that was built by love for me. And even though I didn't have love to give back, they still built it for me. They still loved me. I wanted to see us, and I, I want us to take on that reputation. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I, I want us to be the people who never disconnect from people without God. Don't let your faith be your excuse for not loving people. Because, you see, the only way that people will ever say that love built this is if love is building you. If love is designing you. When Kim and I were first married, we worked at the Ronald McDonald House. I, I, I said that wrong. We did not work there. She worked there. I was married to her. <laughs> she was married. I mean, we were married, and she was married to the Ronald McDonald House. She was the manager of the Ronald McDonald House, and that's where families stay when their children have cancer. And it was one of the most painful experiences of my life. I cannot tell you the overwhelming sorrow I would feel. Well, watch families lose their children. And we lived in that house. We had a small little apartment in this house where families stayed. We got to know them over months, sometimes over a year. And I'll never forget how this house became their home. And it became their home during the most tragic and painful times in their life. And I think one of the themes that always were recurring was this is the house that love built. See, that's what I want the church to be. I want the church to be the house that love built. Yeah. And there was more than just a, a place to stay. It was more than just a place to find healing. It was a place to find hope. And it was in community with others who understood each other's pain that people found the strength to make it through the worst moments of their life. I don't know if you see it. We, we were just three months in Venice when one of our young guys took his life in his early 20s and he ended his life and his family was just so devastated and we sat in the back and we wept and prayed together and there's not much you can say in moments like that but the overwhelming gratitude they have expressed to Mosaic has, has just impacted me so deeply because we, we just don't know what people are going through we don't know the struggles that they're fighting through. We don't know the pain that they're in. We don't know how deep the wounds go. Everyone looks so good on the surface and so good on the outside. And we need to be that place of healing and hope. We need to be the house that love built for the city who desperately needs to be loved. And then it says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated Anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And what I want you to notice is a couple of things, really important. Everyone was accusing Jesus, maligning his reputation. 
It wasn't Zacchaeus' reputation who was really at question. Everybody knew he was a sinner. Zacchaeus knew who he was. What Zacchaeus was about to do was not a response to reclaim his reputation. It was a response to protect the reputation of Jesus. It was not a response of his generosity toward the people he had actually taken advantage of. It was a response to his desire to honor Jesus for being in his house. And the first response that this man has as an act of worship to God was to release his wealth. And I think this is one of the things we sometimes we have a very difficult time with. Not realizing that our wealth and our worship are connected together. That we cannot be generous in love if we're not even generous with our money. That they're connected together. People who are actually generous with their money are actually generous with love. And that if you think you're generous but you're not generous with your resources, you're actually lying to yourself. Because generosity comes from the same place in the soul. It affects everything that we possess. Look, Lord, here and now, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will give back four times the amount. He was doing this because he now had found the love and acceptance of Jesus in his life. What is your response to God? See, if love is going to build this, then love has to motivate us. It's love that must drive us together. My vision for the future is that our decisions would be made out of love. That our generosity would be an expression of love. That our future would be painted by love. And, I, and, and I've made a shift in my own mind because I realized when I came to Los Angeles, I was still a nomad. I still had this nomadic mentality. And so I, feel, I really fit LA because LA is all these nomads passing through. You've seen them, right? You knew them last year, but they're gone. You met him last month, but he's gone. You met her three months ago, and you thought you're going to do life with her, but she's gone. People are just passing through. See, one of the things with L.A. is that L.A. is a river, not an ocean. And we're trying to build something as if it were an ocean, but it's a river. But what we need to do is we need to build an ocean in the middle of the river. We need to realize there are people just passing through, and I was one of them. And that's one of the reasons. People have asked me, some of our senior adults have said, why did you never lead us to build anything? I asked that it was a noble thing, because I didn't want us spending our money on material things. You can't live life without spending money on material things. Oh, we'd be running naked in the woods. <laughs> and that would be awkward. <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't be standing on the stage. You know why I haven't built something? Why I haven't led us to build something? Because I had the same mentality before I was married and I brought it to pastoring a church. But if we don't shift our minds and build something for the future, we will not leave a legacy for the generations to come. And it will be on us that one day Los Angeles does not have a powerful, vibrant, meaningful, relevant expression of the church in LA. Because we are here and this is our moment. And Zacchaeus responded immediately and that needs to be our response. I have a few graphs I want you to look at with me, just real quickly. Just so you can kind of get a sense 
our breakdown for 218. These are our goals for next year. We're going we're gonna to take the city by storm. And our goal for Foundation Sunday that's coming on December the 10th is going to be, it's not all the totals up there, $1.25 million, I think it is, or $1.2, something like that, million dollars. We're going to raise a half a million dollars for Hollywood. We don't know how long we're going to have this property, but I think we need to start posturing ourselves to buy this property. See, I think we need to start praying to own this. We're going to engage the people who own it, start talking to them. I mean, maybe they're getting exhausted trying to develop this property, and God is going to wear them down so we can afford it. But we need to get ourselves to the financial strength to be able to actually own this property. Some of you don't know this, but it was me and one person having a cup of coffee that paid for this property for the first three years. One person made it possible for us to be here for three years. Now we're six years into it, and we still haven't gotten to the place where we can afford it. So we have to start taking stewardship. There is a time where things are entrusted to us, and we need to take ownership. We're going to buy this place. We need to step in and own it before we own it. So we need to raise a half a million dollars on December 10th for Hollywood. We need to raise $400,000 for South Pasadena to begin the renovation process, the Rialto, to do basic stuff like having sound and lights and hopefully air conditioning over there. (laughs) Venice, we're going to raise $200,000 for Venice. There has never been an effectively powerful church in that region of our city. I mean, it's amazing. When we had 300 people at a Venice event, we got contacted going, how did you grow it so fast? We've been trying, we've been trying this for a decade and it hasn't been successful. We need to realize that God has given us the ability to grow in the middle of a community of people who do not know God, and very few people have that ability. But that's, in a sense, what God has entrusted us with. We have Whittier. We're going to focus on Whittier. That thing's going to grow. We're going to invest 100000 out there and get that thing thriving and vibrant And then we're going to launch Mexico City this year. We're going to raise 100,000. Somebody add that up. One point, and the reason the numbers, I kept changing it. Because there's so much more we need to do. I want you to look at this. Go to the slide that says change lives. This is why we need to do what we're talking about doing. How many people came to faith in 2017? 2,946 people. That means almost 3,000 people came to know Jesus here. We were baptizing the other day. I was baptizing the girl from Tehran, Iran, who was a Muslim three weeks before. And a guy comes up to me and says, I was baptized here last year and I was a Buddhist. Like, this is amazing. I love this. They're just two of the 2,946. Some of you are part of that 2,946. And you're our proof that mosaic is needed in LA. A lot of you know this, that this is exactly the kind of community that was needed for you to actually come to faith. I'm almost done. Well, kind of. All right, baptisms. We had 324 baptisms last year. Isn't that amazing? And that's in that number is the 148 people who were spontaneously baptized last month. It was incredible. 
Last Easter, we had 8,665 people here. We can cheer that on. Come on. But you know what that means? It's, it's like you have drought and then you have rain and the ground cannot absorb the water. So we had a tent out there. We had people in here. We rented the Avalon. We had almost 9,000 people in 13 different gatherings. And we do not have the infrastructure to absorb those people. Imagine if we were able to take care of all those people and love them and grow them and build in them. We would have 9,000 people right now who would say, love built this. And then we have, and we had new givers in 2017, 2,911. And I want you to know something. We had 2,946 new people coming to faith. Then we had 2,911 people who gave for the first time. Isn't that awesome? You can cheer that. You're not sure if you should. But that, that just means that they gave once. So we can applaud a little bit. But what it also means is that, that we need to teach stewardship. Because it's not enough to simply give once. It's become a part of the foundation of this church. And so in our foundation giving, this is our goal. There it is. Or let me keep this up. I want you to see this. So our budget for 2018 needs to be right at $6 million. Man, this week, I, 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 we did some research to see what, what, what would we have to pay in rent if we didn't have this property right here. If we just rented the Avalon, which is really small, one time a week, or rented the Savin once a week, or rented the Wiltern, it would literally take our budget away if we had to rent one of those places and didn't have this one. This location is an extraordinary opportunity for us. And we need to see this as our moment. We are on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and La Brea, and we need to seize this moment and this opportunity. So our budget for next year needs to be six million, and that's skinny, I'm telling you. That is a no-waste budget. And I want you to see this. Our average giving right now is 88,884. I want you to know, because we never talk about this, so here you are. Our average weekly needed to reach this budget is 115,385. I thought, wow, that's huge. And then I saw a needed increase, $27,000 weekly. And honestly, when I saw this, I thought, $27,000 weekly? How in the world are we going to do this? You ever had that kind of feeling? And then I, I did the little calculator. I went, oh. That's $10 per person <laughs> at Mosaic. This is embarrassing. I didn't even want to tell you that. So I'm afraid somebody go, okay, I can do that. But, but here's the thing. What's, what's so ironic about this is we pay $5 every Sunday for you to park for free. And for us to actually increase our budget to what it needs to be, we need $10. So it's like, we need you to pay $5 for your parking and $5 to say thank you for God for creating this place to change your life. And that's the baseline. See, the budget is what keeps us moving forward as a community to accomplish everything God has for us. But the foundation is what we use to experience 
expand God's mission across the city and across this world. And so it's through the foundation that we get to move into South Pasadena. It's through the foundation that we get to move into Venice. It's through foundation that we actually get to build this Hollywood site. It's through the foundation that we actually launch in Mexico City. It's insane for us to do this, by the way. It would be so much easier for us to pull back, pare down, do less, cut things away, and let some other church have greater faith, greater courage, make greater sacrifices, be more generous, and do what God wants done in this city. But the question is, does God need to raise someone else to do what he's called us to do? Or are we going to step up in this moment and create the future that God has invited us together to create? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. The way God builds the church is by changing us. He makes us generous. He makes us sacrificial. He makes us grateful. He moves us to honor him. And when we honor God, we serve people. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. I love that. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. See, Jesus had a singular mission. It was to save the world. Now, I know this is tricky. It wasn't to save the planet. It was to save humanity. It's on us to save the planet. But it was Jesus' mission to save us. And sometimes we miss this. Sometimes we try to be so PC and so progressive and, you know, so above it all that we don't want to say that humans need God, that people need Jesus. I I just haven't been able to stop thinking about a year ago or so when I was in Vancouver for TED and they were talking about artificial intelligence. And it was the first time I actually saw the, the, the leaders of TED really afraid They're so afraid of artificial intelligence, so afraid of of robotic consciousness. And I understand. And they even had someone speak on on an algorithm that would stop artificial intelligence from actually destroying humanity. Isn't that nice to know? They're working on that. While they're developing artificial intelligence and robotic consciousness, they're also trying to figure out how to not get those robots to kill us all. I mean, I think they should have sold that one first, but that's just me. But the order maybe is important, I guess. And and here's the dilemma, you see. How in the world are we going to get robots to act in a way humans do not act? See, that's the mystery of the algorithm. Is that while we're achieving a level of consciousness, we haven't figured out how to achieve a level of conscience. And what has struck me was, the reason we cannot find an algorithm that actually works for artificial intelligence It's because we don't have an algorithm that actually heals the human heart. Because the only thing that changes the human heart is Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why Jesus' salvation has come to this house today.
So I want Jesus to say that about Mosaic. Salvation has come to this house. I want people to walk into our community and find the life they never thought they could have, that, to come to know the God they never believed in. See, I want this to be the place where Los Angeles knows that they belong here. This is their home. And it's not their responsibility to build this house. It is our responsibility to build this house. We just want to make it a home for them. Can you imagine what the future would look like if we began to create a future designed by love? What would happen if all of us stepped into this future, if all of us carried this same vision together? Love built this. I, I, I believe one day we're going to have a property here in Hollywood. Maybe it's this one. This will be ours. Man, I just can't wait for the day we don't have to live with three parking spaces because we don't even own the building. I can't wait for the day we can build this thing out and make it so extraordinary and beautiful and magnetic so that we're not just cleaning up all the poop on the street and on the grass every single week. Let me tell you, people see the way buildings are treated as a reflection of the people who inhabit it. This place is a reflection of us and because that it's a reflection of God. I can't wait till we're able to restore the Rialto Theater. In fact, I think we should own the Rialto Theater. I, I, I think we need to begin to have that conversation out there and begin to own that. There's a post office that's for sale. It's only like $46 million in Santa Monica. You know, I, I don't know if that's the right spot, but I, I see, I think we need to stop acting like we're transients. We need to stop acting like we're nomads. We actually need to stop acting like we're poor, and we need to start acting like we're the children of the creator of the universe who has all the resources available to himself. And so I'm not asking you to give to the foundation today. What I'm asking you to do is begin to ask yourself the question, do I want to be a part of building this kind of future? Because you see, if this is your home, if this is your family, if this is your tribe, if you are Mosaic, then this, this is our vision. This is our moment. This is our opportunity. And on December 10th, I'm going to believe we're going to have the greatest day in the history of Mosaic. The people are going to rise up and give sacrificially and generously. And that we find ourselves between this moment and that moment with a community that decides to start giving as a part of who they are. Don't be inspired to give. Don't pray about giving. You don't pray about things God's already told you to do. Don't hide behind praying. Start giving. You'll never blow God away by how much you sacrifice. You'll never give more than God expects of you. See, the reality is that God does more with us when we entrust more to him. Man, I am glad I'm alive. I am so grateful to be alive. Not just so I can stand here and take up space and use some oxygen that someone else could breathe, but because there's a future to create, and we get to be a part of that. Man, when I'm dead, I want people to look back on my life and say, love built this.
haven't you? Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.